This morning, I want to just share something that I, I think is really a response and encouragement for us in these days, um, and particularly in these days where there's lots of information going around, lots of uh, misinformation, fake news, all these kind of things. There's so much being talked about. And just something I was just aware of over the last few weeks, a lot of this can lead to a lot of confusion and a lot of fear. So I just wanted just to share from the scriptures um, what, what I think is truth that we can really lay hold of and be encouraged by. And it comes from 2 Timothy 2. I'm going to read the chapter. So while you get your Bibles ready, if you're going to join us, I'm going to pray. So Father, I just want to give thanks for just this time of worship. Lord, thank you that you are with us wherever we are. Lord, your presence is with us. Lord, and as we just go through uh, these scriptures this morning, I pray, Father, that you will encourage us, give us confidence in you, Lord, and that you would release, um, uh, release us from any fear or confusion in these days. Lord, thank you that you are true and you are the rock on which we stand and on which we build our lives. Lord, and there are things that will come to cause us to be um, pushed here, there and everywhere, Lord. But we want to keep our eyes on you, our hearts for you. And Lord, that your word would be strong in our hearts and minds as well. So Lord, just pray for this time now in Jesus' name. Amen. So let's read. So this is Paul speaking to Timothy, who was pastoring some churches in Ephesus. And I'm um, just going to get the context of the chapter, so uh, bear with me. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. He's talking about the gospel. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. It is the hard-working farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal, but the word of God is not bound. Therefore I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. The saying is trustworthy, for if we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Remind them of these things and charge them before God not to quarrel about words which does no good, but only ruins the hearers. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. But avoid irreverent babble, for it will lead people into more and more ungodliness, and their talk will spread like gangrene. Among them are Humanus and Philetus, who have swerved from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already happened. They are upsetting the faith of some, but God's firm foundation stands, bearing this seal. The Lord knows those who are his, and 
Let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. Now in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also wood and clay, some for honourable use, some for dishonourable. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonourable, he will be a vessel for honourable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. So flee youthful passions, pursue righteousness, faith, love and peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. You know that they breed quarrels. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth, that they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. So I apologise, that's a lot to take in, but just to give us the uh, wider context. And it starts here in chapter 2, where Paul says to Timothy, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what a lovely start to the passage. Um, every day we need to be strengthened by the grace that is um, in Christ Jesus to enable us to rest in God, to trust him, and to recognise that God wants to work through us. If you pick that up in this passage, it's be this honourable vessel set apart, useful to the Lord. And, um, and that's not done by our being able to make good of ourselves, but by being strengthened in his grace. And one of the things I've, I've been learning this week and teaching myself often is to actively recognise the burdens I should not be carrying. And sometimes I think we pick up burdens, and a burden is a responsibility. That's how I identify it. You don't carry things that you don't care about. Um, you carry things because in some way it's, it's, a, it's a burden because it's something that will weigh you down, a responsibility. And there are some things that are not my responsibility. They're either someone else's responsibility or they're God's responsibility. And I need to know what is the burden that he said in Matthew. He says, come to me, all you heavy laden, and I will give rest. He said, he'll take our burdens, and he will give us a burden that is light. So I need to know what is my burden. And one of these burdens, these responsibilities of Timothy was to make sure that the gospel that he heard from Paul and others, the simple gospel truth was passed on to faithful men, and that word there is actually a Greek word that refers to both men and women. So to faithful men and women to teach the word of God, to teach the gospel and continue to preach it. And so, you know, it's easy to take on these other burdens and they, they're just distractions from what God has called us to do. And, and so he's encouraging Timothy, he's saying to him, you know, this is important the gospel is good, it's true, pass it on, make sure that what I taught, taught you, you pass on to others. And, uh, and then he gives these three examples of um, the, a Christian, if you like, three aspects of a Christian through, through these kind of uh, pictures. He talks about the soldier. The soldier is not focused or distracted by the worldly goings on. He's focused on the call to mission. He's ready for conflict He's disciplined. He's not going to get dragged into things that are not essential and not 
to do with the mission that he's, he is a soldier for. And then the athlete is trained in discipline. He's focused on the run. He's, he's set his sights. He's um, not going to carry anything. It reminds me of it's Hebrews, isn't it? I think Hebrews 12, he says, let's lay aside every weight and every sin, so every burden, if you like, um, and run the race. And so we run, it talks about according to the rules, according to the way of Christ. So a discipline um, implies there are certain restrictions that we operate in. So, you know, that's what discipline is. And then the third one is a farmer. He's busy sowing and reaping um, and he's patiently waiting for the fruit. Um, patience is, is also an aspect of the Christians. You've got the focus on God and his mission or his calling, um, not being distracted by all the goings on in the world, discipline, focus and running the race, patience, reliance on God to bring the growth. As you, many of you will know that scripture, um, you know, Paul planted Apollos water, but God gives the increase. And then he says, remember Jesus Christ. So though we've got these soldier, um, um, athlete and farmer, they're great ways to picture what it is. What should our life look like in pictorial form? But he says, remember Jesus Christ, the great example. He suffered for our sake, as Paul is writing, he's writing from as a criminal. He says, for which I am suffering, he's suffering for the gospel. So we shouldn't be surprised if we um, suffer is a part of the Christian life that we suffer. Um, but he says, you know, suffering is part of it. I endure everything. And he says, the word of God is not bound. And that means that even though he may be bound, the word of God is going to continue to go out. The purposes of the Lord will be fulfilled. And that's another verse I've been reminding myself a lot, really quite powerful. If you wonder what's going on, the purposes of the Lord will not be held back. They will not be in vain. He will always perform that which he set out to perform. Amen? I'm going quite quick because I've got six pages instead of four pages today. So, um, so remember Jesus Christ. So this is all the context he's, he's saying. He's saying be focused on the gospel. He's saying be disciplined. He's saying... Um, don't get distracted. Be patient in the work of God. The work of God is related to the word of God, the gospel, the simple um, gospel of Jesus Christ. And um, he goes and says, this is a, a trustworthy saying. If we died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. He's talking about hope that if we, as Paul would say, I die daily, and he was referring not to a kind of necessarily a personal um, spiritual death to self, although we can, uh, you know, use those words biblically in the sense, but he was talking about literally he was almost dying every day. And, but the hope is if we die, we will live with him. If we endure, we will reign with him. Um, Timothy was in a challenging situation. He's saying, just keep with Jesus. And the opposite is true. If we deny him, he will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. And he's not talking about whether, um, you know, if you make that mistake and you give in to temptation to, to not trust the Lord, that somehow he's going to deny you. He's talking about continual living. 
He's talking about a life of denying God, i.e. an unbelieving life. And just because people who are unbelievers are faithless, God always means faithful. And that doesn't mean that he is faithful to save the faithless. He's just saying God's character doesn't change in relation to our character. He always remains faithful. He cannot deny who he is. He cannot deny himself. So it's important that we look at these in the right context of the passage. He's not talking about this fragile Christian living. And I want to come back to that. So he's saying to them, remind them of these things. Charge them before God not to quarrel about words. And now this is where I think we've become a bit more relevant. Well, it's all relevant, but a bit more relevant today. So much talk, which is absolute junk, really, just nonsense going on in the world at the moment um, because of social media and the internet and things like that. It's so easy just to put rubbish up. And, um, and we, we can be so swayed and moved by this rubbish that we even move away from the simplicity of the gospel. And uh, Paul mentions there are two people that were even doing that, that people were coming into the churches sharing this new gospel that they had. In this instance, it was that the resurrection of the saints was a spiritual thing that had already happened. There was nothing to look forward to. There was no hope for the future. And it affected people to such a point that some were actually leaving um, the faith. And he says this, he says three, there are um, three key things that we can learn from. So this is in verse, um, the verse I just read, verse 14. Um, Remind them of these things, charge them. This is the, the, the men and women that is going to say, go and preach the gospel. Charge them not to quarrel about words which does no good, but only ruins the hearers. Have you ever been in a debate about a particular word or a, a saying or some little aspect of something that suddenly is blown into this big thing um, and it's just quarrelling and arguing about, you know, this is that, no, and all this kind of thing. And what Paul is saying is, is that it does no one any good. Don't even bother arguing with people about words. It does no one any good. That's the first thing. If you get caught in an argument, it does no one any good. Number, uh, verse 15. Present yourself to God as one approved, a worker. I'm going to come back to that. Uh, verse 16. Avoid irreverent babble, for it will lead people into more and more ungodliness, and their talk will spread like gangrene. Now, this irreverent babble, um, some translations might use empty, worldly chatter. And I think there's a lot of this going around. You can call it fake news, conspiracy theories. And for some reason, Christians, it seems to me, are just sort of suck up conspiracy theories like no one's business because of end times uh, ideas and theologies and things like that and what they think may happen. And it's like we can be sponges to irreverent babble, um, empty worldly chatter. And the idea here um, is that Words in a biblical language are being used for worldly gain. And worldly gain, I don't mean that it's just financial gain. I'm talking about worldliness gain. Or um, it's 
to puff up someone's pride or it gets people going, it pricks people's ears up, it's interest, it's drama, um, but really it's self-serving activity. It does nothing for the gospel, it doesn't bring people into freedom, it doesn't bring people out of fear and into peace. And, and the problem with this is that it spreads like gangrene. For you young people who don't know what gangrene is, you could say cancer, you could say covid it spreads from one to the other like wildfire because um, it, and the, it, it, is, it is just a very attractive conversation. But essentially, as Paul says, it's irreverent babble and it will lead people into Mormon ungodliness. I've, over my 30 years of being a Christian and younger, being in the church for 48 years, I've heard every single reason for what something at that time is going to be the mark of the beast. I've read every numerological kind of word play on words that mean numbers and, and I've, I've even remember a time when I was 15 years, where, 15 years old where people were talking about the end of the world was going to be on the 21st of September of that year. And every year, and here we are in 2021, we are still here, but yet it seems the babble changes from year to year. But one thing doesn't change is that the gospel is still the gospel. But people can get so caught up in this talk and it does not bring life. And what does Paul, what does, um, t- Paul say? <clears throat> He says, where is it? Avoid it. And that word avoid is present continuous. Keep on avoiding it. We don't need to get involved in these conversations. We don't need to, to start to dig around and search the YouTube channels and share it on social media and things like that. We don't need to get into it at all. Keep focused on the gospel. If you're going to share anything on social media, share the gospel. Share words of encouragement. Share about Jesus. Share truth. Not conspiracies and controversies and all these difficult words that people quarrel over. We have this opportunity to share the good news. Is Jesus coming back? Yes. Is Jesus going to win? Yes. Are we on the winning team? Yes. There's my eschatological view. (laughs) Um, Now, some were turning away from the faith faith because of this. And uh, many of you will know, many prophecies went out in the Christian world that Trump was going to have a second term, um, term. And of course, he didn't. And uh, all credit to those who have repented and said, I was wrong. And we have to test every prophecy that comes out. Um, And um, those who are wrong need to be held accountable for that. But what's interesting is, is the impact this has had on people who were wanting to share Christ with their family and have taken these prophecies and declared them to their family, said, this is what God is going to do how it's undermined faith. But, but the main thing here is, is how it is also apparent that so many Christians are still following the words of those same people. Because it seems to me, and I might be pushing this a little bit, um, I don't mean to be controversial after this talk, but we can follow the man, not the word of God. 
And, um, and in this pandemic, there's so much talk about the mark of the beast. Is it in the vaccine? Um, the closure of churches? Is this the end time? And much of this talk is irreverent babble. So I want to just be really open with you this morning that so much of what I've heard from all this talk is actually creating fear and confusion, not life and peace. The Word of God brings life. Amen? In the room, yeah? If it brings fear, there's a difference between fear and conviction. If it brings fear, um, then we need to question it. And this is what Paul says. He's saying, look, you know, this upset in the faith, verse 19, but God's firm foundation stands. And you've got to think of this imagery, okay? There's two imageries here. The firm foundation. We stand on the rock of Jesus Christ. My salvation is on the rock of Jesus Christ, bearing this seal, the, the seal, remember the wax and then the thing in the wax and it created the seal. And the seal has two phrases, if you like, on one side and one on the other. The Lord knows those who are his and let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. And this seal is it's likened to um, a, a seal is likened to a mark that we read of in, like in Revelation. That's what I want to just spend a little bit of time just to show you. I want to show you that obviously my role is not to tell you what I think, but to show you what I believe the Scriptures are saying. So, are you afraid that you may be deceived inadvertently to take the mark of the beast? That's a valid, a valid question that I've heard asked. And so I want to answer it. What is the mark of the beast? Revelation chapter 13 speaks of the beast and his mark. Um, but first we have to understand the book of Revelation. And I want to recommend you, I've put the links in the YouTube uh, video, to look at the overview from the Bible Project. There's two videos, fantastic. It's the most clearest and most positive and most, I think, biblical summary of the structure of Revelation. I encourage you to um, watch it. Um, it's very easy to watch as well, and it's short. But in, in chapter 13, it talks about these two beasts, a beast rising out of the sea with horns and names on its head and, an, and another beast as well. And John is writing in Old Testament imagery. He's writing in a style of writing, like a hidden code, if you like, that the people they would have understood. He was writing to people at that time about the situation at that time. It was relevant to them at that time. So this isn't all future stuff. But the thing with prophet, prophecy is that what you have is you can have the prophetic word to the time and you can see it come through the ages. So where we see, um, um, particularly in Revelation, Daniel, we can see how things can repeat themselves through the ages when you look historically. And there are different views on Revelation. I'm not going to go into any of those. But we have to understand that the Revelation is not a literal interpretation. There will not be a beast with horns coming out of the sea. It is not literal. It's a spiritual, if you like. It's a, it's a um, figurative. It is explaining things of a spiritual nature that will be outworked practically, but they won't look like what is particularly uh, John is saying. And uh, I'll give you an example of, of almost like this pattern that happens through the ages and it will culminate in the end when Jesus returns. But we have to understand, as I say, John was writing to the people at that time 
when it talked about the mark of the beast, when it talks about all these things that would have been relevant to them at that time. And that's a really important thing. John says in 1 John 2.18, he says, Children, it is the last hour, as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. So it doesn't necessarily mean that there are these many Antichrists and there's a big one at the end. It's just the spirit of the Antichrist through every age, through every generation, there is going to be an Antichrist spirit. And, um, and the book of Revelation is a wonderful explanation of how um, the church is going to go through that period of time of the end. Jesus is going to win the battle in the end and it shows how God is going to win people to himself and how he's going to do that and how it includes the suffering church. So I want to really encourage you to watch those videos after this sermon, not right now. Because, uh. So... Chapter 13 talks of two beasts and they're seen as two powers or you could say empires. There may have been the empire at the time. At the time it was written, it would have been the Roman Empire. It would have been a military power and an economic power. So the first beast is a military power. The second beast is an econo economic power. And these powers will demand worship. They will demand service. And we see at the time, this writing to say, the Roman Empire and the Caesar at the time who declared himself to be God, Many would um, recognise that the number of the... Oh, I'll get into that later because I don't want to jump ahead. But the God at that time, uh, Caesar, would have demanded worship. And to receive the mark of the beast is to set your heart in worship to that empire, that thing, whatever it may be. And that, if it's not of God, it is of Satan. So... When the mark is put on their, it talks about the mark on their head and on their, we'll, we'll read some scriptures in a minute. I just want to give you this kind of background. Um, it is representing allegiance. See, the enemy always counterfeits the things of God. Whenever there's a great move of God and, and great things happen, it even says in the end that there'll be great and amazing um, things done that will wow people, miracles, if you like, done by the, the enemy. <clears throat> Deuteronomy, <clears throat> excuse me, 6 verse 8, where it talks about the law. God commands the Israelites to write the commandments on their foreheads and on their hands. Now, they didn't do that. Like, they didn't all write on, um, I mean, we, you, the priests would have the little dangly bits, didn't they, on the things they could touch. Um, it's the technical term. But they did it as a sign of allegiance. It's to align my thoughts and my actions to the Lord. Yeah, thoughts, actions, my, my forehead, my thoughts, my hands, actions. And so the enemy does the same. The mark is a sign of allegiance, a spiritual sign of allegiance. Now, the beast at that time would have been Nero. His name in Hebrew Hebrew letters would have been used as their numbers and when you add up his letters, they add up to 666. So when he had said his number, number is of a man, his number is 666, the, the people who have read that would have understood that to be Nero. So we can't get carried away with um, these things. We have to look at it in the, in the um, context of as it was written, then we look at those principles and what the message is and apply it to our life today. So over these years, new antichrists have come and they... 
would have been in that kind of position. The church would have suffered through the ages just as we will in our age. The point is, is that God knows what's happening. He knows the end. He's already purposed his plans and nothing can stand in the way of it. He wins in the end. And the early church at that time may well have had been kept from certain economic opportunities because they would not involve themselves in allegiance to Caesar. They would have stopped them from being able to involve themselves in economic opportunities. So when it just says buy and sell, we've got to understand what that means. In my understanding, it's involvement in the economic opportunities that would have been available at that time. So, and they suffered under the Roman occupation. They gave up their lives um, because of their faith. And so when John is writing to this people, you can see how this would bring so much hope because they could understand the context of what's going on. After they would have been so close to when Jesus had been around the apostles and so forth. Um, and you could wonder whether everything had gone to pot. And so when he wrote Revelation, it was to encourage them saying, God is at work, he's doing it. Um, so be encouraged. But when we read Revelation 13, we read the mark of the beast. And as I did, when I was a young person, I got bored in a meeting when I didn't know the Lord. I'd read Revelation because it's like a fancy novel. Um, and you read number, uh, uh, thir- um, Revelation 13 and you listen to the guy on, you know, who speaks about it. Or At the time there wasn't YouTube and all that. And it's all very interesting and we can read Revelation 13, but we need to turn the page to Revelation 14. And so I want you to um, uh, just go with me to verse 1. He says this, Then I looked and behold on Mount Zion stood the Lamb, yeah, Jesus Christ. And with him 144,000. It's a spiritual number, not a literal number. Who had his name and his father's name written on their foreheads. See, there's a mark of the lamb. And this is what I want to talk about. We, can, we often talk about the mark of the beast, but I haven't heard anyone talk about the mark of the lamb. Um, and this mark or the seal, so I'm, I'm calling those things the same thing. Uh, and they pretty much are the same thing. Um, Ezekiel talks about this same seal that was given to the people of God before judgment that was to come. And this is in Ezekiel 9, 4 to 6. And he says, And the Lord said to him, Pass through the city, through Jerusalem, and put a mark on the foreheads of the men who sigh and groan over all the abominations that are committed in it. And to the others he said in my hearing, Pass through the city after them and strike. Your eyes shall not spare. You shall show no pity. Kill old men outright, young men and maidens, little children and women. But touch no one on whom is the mark and begin at my sanctuary. Begin at the church. There's a mark that saves us from judgment. In Revelation 13 verse 8, shows us, who will receive the mark of the beast and who will not? It says, all who dwell on earth will worship it. That's the, the allegiance. That's how we know who's marked. They will worship the beast. Everyone whose name has not been written before the foundation of the world in the book of life of the Lamb who was slain. So if your name's written in the book of life, written before the foundation of the world, you cannot receive the mark of the beast because you're already marked. Huh? That's encouraging, isn't it? 
See, Ephesians 1, 13 to 14. See, what happens when you put your faith in Jesus for salvation, when we respond to God, we're saying that I am going to worship you and no one else. That's our response to salvation. Is Worship is laying our life down for God. It is giving our lives to God. It's not just singing and, you know, we, we all know we're not just talking about singing. It's allegiance, it's devotion, it's giving our lives to God. And so it says in, in that verse, it says, In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, so the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. So again, we focus on the mark of the beast, but we've been given the mark of the lamb. Amen? Amen, anyone else? <laughs> amen, I know you're saying amen at home, come on. Say amen on the chat. Um, did you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ? Then he marked you as his. He sealed you by his Holy Spirit. Your name is written in the book of life. And you cannot be led to take any other mark without deciding in your heart who you will worship who you will give your allegiance to. Now, deception is real, but God has you. See, we've, we've read the Bible. We spend time with God. We know the simple truth of love towards God, loving one another, loving our neighbour. And this is a verse that encouraged me this week. Um, it's, it's Philippians 1 verse 6. He says, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Now, we're getting stamped, we're getting marked, we're getting written, we're getting sealed, we're getting written in the book. We've got a God who is holiness. Oh, Jana, come and help me with this because um, I can't touch anyone else. I need to touch you. Um, and here's another little picture I was thinking of this week is that God holds us with a heavy hand. That sounds abusive. I want to prove it's not. So give me a hand. So I might, have you ever shaken people like that? Yeah. Can you see this on the camera? I don't know. So I'm going to, if I hold Janet with a heavy hand, I mean a strong hand. So she cannot get away from me. See, when we kind of even stumble, oh, hold on. Even <laughs> if we stumble, she's strong. He holds us with a heavy hand, not a light. You just pull yourself away at the moment. See? Easy gone. Thank you. Well done. You can sit down. He holds us with a heavy hand. Let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from... Sorry, I've jumped here. The Lord knows those who are his. That's the seal. He knows that I am God's. He knows that you are God's. If you believed on his name, it is because of what he has done, not what you do. It's because of what he has put his name on you. He's stamped his name on you. He knows that you are his. That's the first part of the seal. There is another part. So the first of all, we need to understand it is not, the mark of the beast is not something physical, it is something spiritual and it requires you to give your heart in allegiance to someone who is not God. And that all comes under the enemy's terrain. But we are his. So we can resist fear. But the seal has another part. It says, let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. 
So we may come to the Lord in faith and we can know the comfort of his salvation, but it doesn't end there. There is an outworking of our salvation, Philippians. Work out your salvation, Fintram. Not work for, work out. And this is where Paul goes in this passage. He starts to say, not only does he say, be strengthened in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Know who you are. I didn't go into this bit, but he says, um, he says you are a worker who has no need to be ashamed. We are his. But he says, but... Sin must not be named among his church. Are you continuing to live in sin? Are you knowingly deciding to continue each day in sin? I don't mean have you stumbled in sin. I'll go into this a bit more detail. Are you knowingly disobeying his word? Then you have reason to fear. Get right with God. And the reason I say get reason to fear is if we want to know, will I be deceived into taking the mark? Will I be deceived into being named amongst those who God will throw into hell or into the fire, whatever you, uh, word you want to use. We can be fearful that we, we will be deceived. But this is my point. If you understand right now that you want to live every day for Jesus and you want to resist sin, there is no way you can be deceived. If you're reading the scriptures as we're listening to his word and we're growing in him, there's no way we can be deceived. But there is a way to be deceived if already you're deceived into believing that it's okay for you to continue day by day in sin, even though you know that it is wrong. And you may even be going to church. You may be listening to sermons. You may even be singing. But if you know that you are continuing sin, then you are already deceived. And my concern for you would be is that if you want to know whether you could be deceived to take the mark, whatever, to give your allegiance to God, then yes, you could be if already you are deceived to believe that sin is okay. And let me just clarify, because I think it's really important to make this plain. I'm not talking about sinless perfection that is... There is none with us who is without sin. I spoke last time about when we are caught unawares, where we stumble in sin and we come back to God and we ask forgiveness. But John says this in 1 John 3, 4-9, most clearly. He says, Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning. For God's seed abides in him and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. So as clearly, it's not when you stumble and you repent because you think, what have I done? Or someone comes along and says, what are you doing? And you say, do you know what? You're right. I'm glad you've come to challenge me. I need to get right with God. That's a very different situation. But when you make a practice of sinning, then you are in danger of deception to a very... Um, high degree. So let's go back to Timothy. So 
hopefully I've just shared there an encouragement. Let's focus on the mark of the Lamb. Let's focus on our security in God. Let's focus on that, that seal that the Lord knows who He is. But we also now, this, this is where Paul turns his attention. The second part of the seal is the uh, command let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity, depart from unrighteousness, you could say. And he says, he gives a little um, illustration about um, vessels in a, in, a, in a house. And we want to be vessels that are used for honourable use. And he's saying, look, God wants to use you. But while you're in sin, he's going to be focused on getting you back into a place where he can use you. And, uh, and we want to be set apart, ready for his every good work. And that's, that's basically what he's saying. But just for time, we're just going to jump to verse 22. So flee youthful passions. It's not just the young that have youthful passions. So let's just be clear there. But in other words, there is a time when you should have learned about the youthful passions. Pursue righteousness, faith, love and peace along with those who call on the law for a pure heart. And he, and he now comes a bit more practical. He says, be kind to everyone. The Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone. Able to teach. How can you, if someone wants to talk about these things, how can you bring it round to the gospel? How can you bring it round to the truth, which brings life, and not get drawn into these controversies? How can we point people to Jesus? He says, patiently, um, have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. He's just repeating himself from before. You know they breed quarrels and the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil. It doesn't mean that um, w our conversations um, will be very nice and kind to us. Um, we may be, I remember years ago, um, and I don't blame him for this at all. Um, some of you might remember the Dunblane Massacre. And um, my work colleague came to me and he was furious and he had a go at me. He said, how can you believe in a God that allows that? It's very difficult to reply to that. I don't remember what I said, but I know I didn't give him a reply. I just said, I know that God's, God hurts over this or something like that, I think. But we will get the brunt of the anger of people against the Lord, but we are to respond with kindness. We're to endure patiently. It says, correcting his opponents with gentleness. Um, not just trying to win the argument, but try to win the person for Christ. And perhaps God will open their eyes, he says. Perhaps they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. Perhaps actually, if we listened and then pointed people to Jesus, it may open their eyes. And so there are many controversies, fake news, end time prophecies, a lot of fear, a lot of worry about things that are not to be worried about. We're to focus not from a biblical perspective, I'm talking, not from a theological reason. We're to focus on Christ, the simplicity of his gospel. I encourage you to, to find your encouragement by focusing on the word of God, not getting drawn in to these kind of arguments and 
worldly chatter and irreverent babble, but stick to the scripture, read it, share it, be confident God has you in his hands. Pursue righteousness. If you're in sin, you may feel that you are so deep in sin you can't get out. And you can with the help of others. And it will mean that you may have to cut some ties. It might mean that you need to make some big steps. But God will move. Be kind. Win people to Christ. Don't worry about winning arguments. Amen. So we are a marked people, marked of God, on our forehead, on our hearts, on our hands. We are marked. So we are people of security. Amen. I'm going to pray and then uh, Drew's going to lead us a bit afterwards. Father, I just want to thank you. You've brought it down to such a simplicity that we need only put our faith in you, keep our eyes on you. Lord, and as you strengthen us with your grace, as you fill us with your Holy Spirit, as we yield to you, we will live out those things of righteousness. Help us to choose each day, Lord, to look to you, to live for you. Lord, not to be drawn into things that are um, destructive, that create fear or worry or anxiety. But Lord, you are faithful. Lord, you are our foundation. Lord, you know your people. You know who are yours. And Lord, you, you will help us to live out that life. We couldn't do it any other way. So Lord, I just want to pray. I want to pray for two types of people. One who's maybe caught up in fear that you'd release them. Lord, because your gospel is a releasing um, word. It's a powerful word that brings release. Help them, Lord, to lay down the burdens that they're carrying that they don't need to carry. Lord, and for those that are in sin, Lord, I pray, Father, for the conviction of your Holy Spirit that will empower and enable them to make big decisions in their lives, to get right with God. Lord, open their eyes to the deception of sin, to the influence of this world that uh, creates other ways of being Christian that are not biblical, that justifies sin. Lord, will you open our eyes? Lord, help us to be confident in you this week, Lord, as we go about our days. So, Lord, I just commit these things to you in Jesus' name. Amen.